Please stand for the reading of God's word. Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 17 to 23. Then Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared. And this city shall not be burned with fire. And you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then... This city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans lest I be handed over to them, and they deal cruelly with me. Jeremiah said, You shall not be given to them. Obey now the word of the Lord in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. But... If you refuse to surrender, this is the vision which the Lord has shown me. Behold, all the women left in the house of the king of Judah were being led out to the officials of the king of Babylon and were saying, Your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, they turn away from you. All your wives and your sons shall be led out to the Chaldeans, and you yourself shall not escape from their hand, but shall be seized by the king of Babylon, and the city shall be burned with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning to all you who are outside, to those of you watching from home. This is, uh, it's already been mentioned, Chris mentioned it at the beginning, but this is Communion Sunday. So uh, if you're just coming late uh, to the live feed and you're at home and you forgot about that, take an opportunity here Uh, as we get started to make sure you have uh, the elements in place for communion at the end of the service. I will, uh, I'll make small talk for about five minutes or so for you to run and do that. No, I'm just kidding. You're going to miss some of the sermon, but that's okay. Just go ahead and do that now. And um, we're continuing on in our sermon series, All Things New, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. We've been working our way since January. If you've been with us since January, we've been working our way uh, through the single overarching story of the Bible, taking each major section of the Bible in turn. And we've been in the ages of the kings uh, for the last number of weeks, probably about a couple months or so. But today, the age of the kings comes to an end. Next week starts the age of exile. 
And uh, if you've been here the last number of weeks, you've seen the end of the age of the kings coming. We was kind of forecasted, as it were, in the kingship of Manasseh. But today, the sword finally and fully drops. And this, what we're reading here, not just this passage, but just this episode in Israel's history, it is one of the darkest days in our story. In fact, of all the days that have been told up to this point and that will be told through the Old Testament, this is the nadir of the Old Testament narrative. It's perhaps second only to Good Friday, which In many ways, the fall of Jerusalem prefigures the fall of the Christ on Good Friday. So this is a dark, dark day. By the end of the sermon today, King Zedekiah, who we have just met in our reading, the last Jewish king of Judah, he will be dethroned. The temple will lie in ruins. The covenant will be broken. The city walls will be torn down. And the final remnant of God's people will be cast off out into exile. Exile being the covenant's final and most devastating curse. So maybe that's where some of you find yourselves today. You find yourself, as it were, under the covenantal curse. What you had intended to build up has come crashing down around you. You've messed up big time, or maybe you've messed up a little bit over a long time. And now you are staring at the unraveling of your marriage, or the unraveling of your children, or your work, or your finances, or your ministry, or maybe just the unraveling of your entire life. Is there still hope when all hope is gone? There is. Our text today, Jeremiah 38, 17 through 23, chronicles the exchange between King Zedekiah, this last king to sit upon David's throne in Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah. Zedekiah is beset and besieged by the Babylonian Empire. And as we'll see, Zedekiah's crisis was a crisis beyond the aid of prayer. It was beyond the aid of sacrifice. It was even beyond the aid of repentance. There would be no forestalling the disaster that was to come. And yet, the word has, the Lord has a word of hope for him. So if you find yourself like Zedekiah this morning on the ruined side of hope, the Lord has a word for you too this morning. It may not be a gentle word. And it may not be the word that you want to hear, but it is a word of hope if you will listen to it. So let's listen to this word that Jeremiah the prophet has to say to Zedekiah, and by extension, the word that God has to say to us this morning. So Jeremiah 38, let me give us just a bit of context as we jump into our text this morning. About 12 years prior To this episode in Jeremiah 38, Judah, of which Zedekiah is the king, had become a vassal state of the Babylonian Empire. So you might remember kind of through our story, Assyria had been kind of the the powerhouse of the ancient Near East. Eventually, Assyria gets displaced by the Babylonians. Babylonians now are the powerhouse of the ancient Near East. 
But shortly after Judah had become a vassal state of the Babylonians, probably about three years prior to our episode here in Jeremiah 38, Egypt had risen up to challenge the Babylonian supremacy in the ancient Near East. And Zedekiah, being a vassal state of the Babylonians, took a gamble and he sided with the Egyptians. And this is sort of the lot in life. If you are a minor power in the ancient Near East, all these superpowers are duking it out. And as a little power, you're trying to guess which side is going to win and align yourself accordingly. And Zedekiah guessed wrong. The Babylonians trounced the Egyptians. And since they were in the neighborhood, they set about trouncing Judah as well. So they invade the land of Judah. They besiege Jerusalem. And Zedekiah is now besieged by the Babylonian victors here. So we open up the text. Zedekiah has closed the gates of the city. He's armed the walls, and he's trying to figure out what he should do. Judah certainly isn't strong enough to face the Babylonians in open battle. So he's not going to just throw open the gates and send the army out and fight the Babylonians. So he's got two options. He can try to persevere through the siege in hopes of outlasting the Babylonians. Maybe the Babylonians didn't bring enough food or they're going to get called back to some other battle. But if he can just hold out long enough, the Babylonians maybe will just go away. The upside, if he succeeds in outlasting the Babylonians, is that he would get to keep his kingdom. The downside is that if he fails, he will almost certainly be destroyed. His second option is to submit to the Babylonians. Open the gates, say, hey, I'm really sorry about siding with Egypt. You know, I didn't really want to do that. They put pressure on me. I've actually been your guy all along, you know, and just side with the Egypt, side with the Babylonians and hope for merciful, merciful treatment. He would almost certainly lose his kingdom. He would very likely be dethroned, but his life and his city might be spared. Now, neither option has a guaranteed outcome. His efforts at resistance might fail. Or he might surrender himself and still be killed by the Babylonians. So which way to go? Resist or submit? Fortunately for Zedekiah, he has a prophet in the city, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the most prominent and most important prophet in Jerusalem, really in all of Judah at this time. And he is within the city walls. So he was within the city when the siege began, and now everyone's trapped in the city, and Jeremiah is there with Zedekiah. So we're picking up this conversation between Jeremiah and Zedekiah in chapter 38, verse 17. Zedekiah has summoned Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, of course, is very aware of the situation, and he's asking Jeremiah, what do I do? Which direction do I go? Verse 17, it's already been read for us, but let's look back at it. Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared. And this city shall not be burned with fire and you and your house shall live. So if you're worried about surrendering and being killed, don't worry about that. You can surrender to the king of Babylon and you will be spared. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hands of the Chaldeans and they shall burn it with fire and you shall not escape from their hand. So the short answer that Jeremiah gives to Zedekiah is surrender. Stop resisting and open the gates of the city and let the king of Babylon come in. 
If Zedekiah surrenders, he and his house, meaning his kind of royal family, his administration, will be spared. But if he refuses to submit, then the city will be burned with fire and Zedekiah will not escape. Zedekiah tells Jeremiah that he's worried about some of the the pro-Babylonian Judeans who had already surrendered to the Babylonians. And what if Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, gives me into the hands of of the pro-Babylonian Judeans? I'm afraid that they're going to mistreat me. And Jeremiah assures Zedekiah that he won't be harmed by these pro-Babylonian Judeans. He commands Zedekiah to obey the voice of the Lord in verse 20. He commands him. This is not just counsel that he's giving to Zedekiah. He's saying, this is the word of the Lord to you. You must submit. And he assures him again that it will go well with him and that his life will be spared if he follows through in obedience to the Lord. But if he doesn't, and then Jeremiah recounts this vision that he has in verses 21 through 23. He has this vision of the women of Zedekiah's household being led out to the king of Babylon. And the women are saying, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. There were voices in Zedekiah's administration that were counseling that he persist in withholding uh, surrender from the king of Babylon, that we can outlast him, keep the armies on the wall, keep the gates closed. These were Zedekiah's advisors giving him uh, this advice. And the women in this vision are being led out saying, your friends have deceived you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, they turn away from you. Jeremiah is saying, don't listen to your advisors. Don't listen to the false voices that are telling you that you should continue in your rebellion. Listen to the voice of God. To refuse to surrender, Zedekiah, would be disobedience to God. Now, if you're familiar with the age of the kings, and we've only kind of brushed at it lightly here in the number of uh, months that we've been looking at it, if you're familiar with the age of the kings, though, you know that it's not typical for a prophet of God to tell a Jewish king that he should surrender to pagan forces. Indeed, as I was reflecting on this passage, I was trying to think of any other instance in the Old Testament where God tells one of his appointed leaders to surrender to a pagan army. Best as I can recall, in all of Israel's history, ever since coming out of Egypt, and all the way back to the giving of the law and the coming out of Egypt, God had always called the kings to trust the Lord and to resist So, for instance, back nearly 150 years prior, King Hezekiah, who was the king in Jerusalem at the time, had found himself in a nearly identical situation with the Assyrians that Zedekiah was in with the Babylonians. During Hezekiah's reign, the Assyrians had been the powerhouse. They had come into uh, Israel. They had besieged Jerusalem And Hezekiah and the Judeans had been in a very bad way, just like Zedekiah was now. And God had sent the prominent prophet of that day, Isaiah, to go and speak a word of encouragement to Hezekiah. And the message at that time had been, hold fast, stand firm, and I will deliver you. And sure enough, the next day, the Lord had sent a destroying angel into the camp of the Assyrian army and wiped them out. 
And the king of Assyria had tucked tail and he had run back to Nineveh where he had been struck down by his sons. And no doubt Zedekiah was hoping for that kind of message from Jeremiah. That's what he wanted to hear. But that's not what he got. For the first time in Israel's history, the king is being told to surrender. So what gives? How are we to make sense of that? If you know the story of Israel, if you've been with us throughout this journey through the Bible, and you understand the terms of Israel's covenantal relationship with God, then perhaps you already know the answer. As we saw earlier in the sermon series, the law of Moses given to Israel at the founding of their nation contained the covenantal blessings and the covenantal cursings. If Israel obeyed the terms of the covenant, then God would act righteously on their behalf. He would take care of them. He would protect them. He would ensure that they had peace, prosperity, fertility, victory, and such. He would make sure that they were blessed. But if they chased after other gods, if they neglected the terms of the covenant, God would bring increasing hardships and trials upon them in an effort to turn them away from their sin. And the ultimate trial, the apex trial, the ultimate curse of the covenant would be exile from the land. God would kick them out of the land. Sometimes throughout Israel's history, the people had sought after God. And then God had stepped in and he had delivered them like in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a righteous, God-honoring king. But more often than not, the people had rebelled against God. They had refused to follow covenant. And now in the days of Zedekiah, the final curse of the covenant has fallen. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. This is what Jeremiah has been saying for many years prior to the arrival of the Babylonians. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 25, verses 4. You can turn there if you want. You can just listen in. But Jeremiah has been warning that this moment is coming. He says, You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do to you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harms. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations, and I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste." So Jeremiah says, I've been preaching this message for a decade, warning that if we do not turn from our sin, then God will bring the final curse of the covenant. He will send Babylon to come and take us into exile and away from this land. And now, here it has come. 
The axe is at the root of the tree. The sword is raised above their heads. The northern tribes had already fallen to the Assyrians over 100 years ago. Judah is now about to suffer the same fate. Jeremiah has been saying, beware, beware, you have forsaken the covenant and are about to be taken from the land. The final curse is about to fall. And now with the arrival of the Babylonians, the curse has fallen. The clock has struck. The hour of judgment has come. And here's the frightening reality of this moment. Repenting can no longer ward off the doom. Prayers and sacrifices can no longer forestall the destruction that has come. No amount of contrition can deliver Judea from what is about to happen. The only thing left to do, Jeremiah tells Zedekiah, is to submit to God's chastisement. That's all that's left. You cannot get out of the chastisement that is coming. All you can do, Zedekiah, is submit to it. And yet, in that submission, there still is hope. Not all need be lost. If Zedekiah submits to the chastisement of God, he will be preserved in the midst of it. Listen to the rest of Jeremiah's message back in chapter 25. I stopped in the middle of verse 11, but let me finish it. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, he says. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then after the 70 years are completed, Jeremiah goes on to say, the Lord will bring us back to this land. This is a 70-year timeout. This is a 70-year exile. It's a long time, but it's not forever. God would chastise, but even in his chastisement, there is still hope for restoration. If Zedekiah were to yield yield to God's judgment, if he contritely submitted to the yoke, if he bore the chastisement that was due to Jerusalem because of their sin, God would honor that. He would not withdraw his hand of judgment, but he would preserve Zedekiah and Jerusalem from total destruction, even in the midst of their judgment. But if he chooses the path of rebellion, he will be destroyed. We read on in Jeremiah chapter 39. It hasn't been read for us, but if we move on in Jeremiah 39, we see that Zedekiah chose the path of rebellion. He stubbornly persisted in his resistance until finally the Babylonians break through the city walls. Zedekiah, in this last-ditch effort, tries to flee but is captured, And he's taken to the king of Babylon. And there in the presence of the king of Babylon, he is forced to watch the slaughter of his sons and the slaughter of all the nobles of his house. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, puts out the eyes of Zedekiah so that that was the last thing that he saw. And then his royal household is burned. The walls of the city are broken down. The temple is destroyed, and Zedekiah, along with all the people of Jerusalem, are taken in chains to Babylon, where he will die in prison. It's the complete and utter ruin of Zedekiah and Jerusalem. Here's the principle that I want us to see. 
When we are faced with the chastisement of God, we must humble ourselves and take our lumps. We could say it like this. Do not fight against the chastisement of God. Are you under a heavy trial this morning? Sometimes hard trials come into our lives even when we're living right, like Hezekiah. If you're Hezekiah this morning, then stand firm. Be strong. Hope in the Lord. God is with you. He will deliver you. But sometimes trials come into our lives as the inevitable consequences of our sin. Those aren't just trials. That's God's divine judgment. When we find ourselves in Zedekiah's position, the only right course of action is to surrender ourselves humbly to the consequences. And if we do, he will, we will be preserved even in the midst of our judgment. But if we refuse to submit to God's chastisement, if we fight against it, if we continue to resist or we make excuses for our sins, our punishment will nonetheless fall. But it will only bring ruination and destruction. So if you are in Zedekiah's position this morning, then be warned. If judgment has not yet fallen, then repent immediately. Perhaps there is still time to avert the chastisement of God. But if judgment has already fallen, if your marital unfaithfulness has led to divorce, if your neglect of your kids has led to a house of rebellion, if your financial indiscretions have resulted in your family's financial ruin, if you have lived a life of pride and arrogance, and have irreparably damaged your reputation, if you have brought the walls down on top of yourself and those around you because of your folly and because of your sin, then the only right course of action is to own your sin and to submit humbly to the consequences that God has brought into your life. God can and will restore you, but only if you submit to his chastisement. As we continue reading in the story of Israel on through the days of exile and beyond, we see that those who humbly submitted themselves to God's chastisement were preserved even in the midst of their exile. But those who refused to submit to God's chastisement, like Zedekiah, were simply destroyed. Now, this is a heavy sermon. I know that it is. And I've been praying for grace for myself to give it and grace for you to hear it. There's a sense in which every sermon is for everyone, but I don't presume that this sermon is for everyone equally. You will know better than anybody else, perhaps, in your heart if the Lord is speaking to you in this sermon. If he's speaking to you, then maybe you have some things you need to say back to him. If you're here with us in the sanctuary, if you're outside watching from the parking lot, maybe you're at home watching from the live stream, wherever you are, if the Lord is calling you to humble yourself, 
to accept his chastisement, then like Jeremiah with Zedekiah, I command you to do so. To refuse is to continue in your disobedience. We're moving towards communion. And as we do, I want to read for you from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations was written also by Jeremiah. He wrote it during the destruction and the despair and the sorrow of Jerusalem. It's a heart-wrenching book. It's five chapters of sorrow and despair. But tucked into the middle of the book are a few verses of hope. So I want us to see that. Let me read for you from chapter 3, 1 through 17. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my path's crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all people the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. It's the lament of one who has fallen under the chastisement of God. But then listen to the word of hope just a few verses later. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is good that one should, should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. 
But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, he will yet show compassion when we humble ourselves before him and submit to the yoke. And that brings us to communion. The sacrifice of Christ is the means by which God shows compassion on us in the midst of our chastisement. The truth is, we are all Zedekiah this morning. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have evoked, invoked the covenantal curse of death. We cannot escape it. Every one of us will fall beneath the covenantal curse of death. Death is the inevitable end of every human being. So often when we think about salvation, we think of salvation as God delivering us from punishment, as though Jesus suffers punishment so that we don't have to. But that's not quite right. Imagine that God's chastisement is like a great canyon river winding its way toward a cataclysmic falls. To fall under God's judgment is to be tossed into this river. The canyon walls are too high and too smooth to hold on to. The current is too strong to resist. Sooner or later, we're going to be swept over the falls and crushed and drowned beneath its force. Salvation is not God sending Christ to lift us out of the river before we get to the falls. Nor is salvation simply God sending Christ to go over the falls in our place so that we don't have to. Salvation is God sending Jesus to go over the falls with us. Jesus does deliver us from God's divine chastisement, not by saving us from it, but by bringing us through it. Jesus, in his love for us, has jumped into our river of judgment. And as we are being swept to the falls, he swims up to us and he holds out his hand and he invites us to go over the falls with him. And he promises us that if we do, he will be able to bring us alive again to the surface. But if we refuse his hand and we insist on going over the falls by ourselves, there will be no escape. We will fall under the judgment of God and not come back up to the surface. Salvation is grabbing hold of Jesus and trusting him enough to keep holding on to us as we go over the falls. And in many respects, that's what communion is this morning. It's holding on to and being held by Jesus. It's a statement that we are united with Christ. Jesus, the one who has already gone over the falls and lives to tell about it. The one who has been to exile and has returned. Communion is a statement that Jesus' death and resurrected life becomes our death and resurrected life, and that it belongs to us even now. So if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, if you have laid hold of him in faith to take you safely over the falls and back again 
to the surface, then this meal is for you. But if you are not yet a believer, I encourage you to let this meal pass you by. These elements signify something that you don't yet participate in. But don't let this moment pass you by. Take some time to reflect on the invitation that Jesus is extending to you. He has entered into the river of God's judgment, and he now is with you, and he's holding out his hand. He's offering to go over the falls with you. Don't go over by yourself. Take some time to reflect on this invitation that Jesus extends to you. Even now, he will take your hand. Even this morning, in this moment, he will take your hand. You need not fear the falls. I'm going to distribute the bread and the cup to the folks here on the stage. If you came in to the service this morning, you should already have it. As I distribute to the folks on the stage, take some time of silent reflection, whether you're at home, whether you're out in the parking lot. Take some time to reflect. Let God speak to you. Yield to whatever he is asking of you. Even if he is asking you, like Zedekiah, to go into exile, he'll be with you. He will be with you and he will preserve you.